Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and I will be reading the text of Scripture before we go into explaining the text of Scripture. And so would you stand with me as I read Ephesians chapter 4? You can follow along as I read aloud Ephesians 4. I'm going to start in verse 17 and go down to verse 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You may be seated. Well, to to start this morning, I would like for you and your mind to go with me to the last night before Jesus died to that upper room. Feel the tension in the room as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He taught them. Judas left to go betray Jesus. Jesus broke bread and spoke about his body being broken, his blood being shed. And then at the very end of that meal, of that time together, Jesus lifted his arms and would have prayed to his father. I want you to imagine as he prays, as the disciples look on, I want you to listen carefully to Jesus' prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17. And as you listen in to Jesus' prayer, what you hear is that Jesus is praying for you. John 17, 20 says, Jesus said to his father, I do not ask for these only, the disciples in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through your word. That's us. And and so when Jesus was praying there for us, what was his prayer for us? What, What is Jesus' priority in our life? When he goes to the Father and prays for us, what's his prayer? Well, John 17, 15 tells us that prayer. I do not ask that you, Father, take them out of the world. So his prayer isn't, I want to change their circumstance. Sometimes God does do that, but that's not his most important priority. But his prayer is that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them, he says in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here's Jesus' prayer for you. That you'd be sanctified. That is made holy By the truth of the word of Christ. Jesus' prayer is that you would live in relationship to God and holiness through the word of truth. And so Jesus' prayer for you is that you would be holy. So the question is, what is holiness? Holiness is being like Jesus. Holiness is not doing this and doing that. Holiness is not trying to do certain things to become holy. Holiness is not performing a religious act, lighting this candle, wearing these clothes, not watching this, do this, do that, do this, do that, and then you can be holy. That's not holiness. We went to a park this past week and we saw some people who belonged to a religious sect. They wore their clothes, they had their mannerisms, and that religious sect believes that if they do certain things, then they can be holy. That's the world's view. That's a legalistic, man-based, man-dependent, I should say, approach to God. 
It's a worldly view. That is, if I do these things, then God will be happy with me. If I do these things, then I can earn favor with God. Then I can maybe be holy enough to be with God. And that's not just religious sex. That's also how the world thinks, too. Like, if I want to change my life, I follow these five steps. You know, if I'm, if I'm Muslim, I follow the five pillars of Islam. So Allah won't be so angry with me. He sends me to hell. If I want to change my marriage, I change these three things and add these 15 things, and then you can have a good marriage. And that's a worldly approach. Do this, think this, so I can be this. And so we saw this last week. That is that, that your behavior, if you change your behavior, you change your thinking, then you can change your destiny. You can change who you are. You can change your nature. That's the world's way of thinking. And that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not true. But this is how people think. This is how the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, this is how he thought. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, how about this? How about sell everything and follow me? And he's like, ah, I really like my things. I don't really like you. Or Nicodemus, before he came to Christ, that's how he thought, well, I'm a religious person. I do these things and that's how I can enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, no, you must be born again. So God's word is clear. Holiness does not come from you. It comes through Jesus when the gospel is applied to your soul. So God must change, fundamentally change your very nature. So here's God's view. God's view is this. You do what you do because you think what you think, which is oriented by who you are, by your nature. In other words, your nature, that's who you are, orients your mind, what you think, which produces your behavior, what you do. And we saw this, and I keep going over this because I want to make sure that's in our mind, because we saw this all the way back in, in well, I guess it's not all the way, but it was in uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. God laid this out for us, and he said that the world... They are, each person born into the world is born with a sinful nature. That's verses 18 and 19. That means their hearts are hard. They're living in rebellious to God. They don't have spiritual life within them. They're spiritually dead. And so verse 17, he said, that results in the fact that they have then minds that are full of futility. That is, their minds can't properly think about God. They actually view themselves as God. They actually live as if they are their own gods. They're selfish And therefore, that produces a sinful walk, what they do. So who you are, your nature orients your thoughts, your mind, which produces your actions. And so verses 17 through 19 make it abundantly clear that no person can change themselves to be holy. You can't do it because you can't change your nature. A leopard can't change its spots, right? And why is that? Because that's his nature. That's who he is. And so in order for you to change, there must be something supernatural that takes place. And that's why Jesus' prayer is sanctify them, sanctify them, God, you, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. It's through the word of God. It's through the gospel of God. And the only way a person can be holy is when the truth of the gospel supernaturally penetrates the heart and that person believes in Jesus. We're going to sing a song at the very end of the service as our concluding hymn. It's called, Oh Great God. And I think it, it testifies of this wonderful work of God. And so when we sing it, recall what we talked about here. Because it says this, it says, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear his voice. I mean, we're talking about verses 17, 18, and 19. Did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. And then verses 20 through 24 is the next paragraph. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me, it's a gift from God, gave me endless hope and peace. And so there must be a time in your life that you are converted. That is, you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 verses 20 through 24 is talking about. Conversion is our response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We repent, we turn from our sin and from our way of faith and our way of believing, and we believe in Jesus Christ alone. Regeneration is God's work 
where he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, applies the gospel to our souls and our dead souls come to life. So if you look down in Ephesians chapter 4, just in review, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, speaks of our conversion. So verse 20, you learn Christ, that is, you follow Jesus Christ as his disciple. Verse 21 details what that conversion entails. You heard about Christ, that is, you heard with ears of faith who Jesus is. That is, you believed the gospel, and then you were taught in him. That is, you were taught the implications of the gospel. You believe Jesus died and rose again, and you believe that the Holy Spirit applied that to your life, and now you are no longer the dead old self. You are alive in Christ. That's what it's talking about. And you have the Holy Spirit renewing you. That's verses 22, 23, and 24. And so these verses detail who you are in Christ. And that was really our focus last week. But what we're going to look at this week is, therefore, how we are to live in Christ. So the title of my sermon this morning is The Transformation Plan, A Christ-Like Rhythm of Life. And I say the word rhythm because I think what you see in this text of Scripture here is a pattern You see a way of life for us, a way of Christ-likeness. The word rhythm really speaks of a pattern of sounds and silences that occur in a song. So we just heard the song, I want to know you. And so there was a rhythm that carried the song along, that that brought the song together, that helped the song move from one movement to the next. And so there's there's a sense of a a rhythm of life that we have. And there's a lot of things that we can think about that have rhythms, right? For example, the earth travels around the sun at a rhythm of 365 days, except for next year, because I think it's a leap year next year. Is that correct? And there's the earth that rotates at a rhythm of, of one day, 24 hours. Your heart has a rhythm. The clock back there is, has a rhythm, 60 seconds and a minute, and I can see my introduction's going too long. So the rhythm is telling me I'm not on track here. But the point is here in Ephesians 4, verse 20 and 24, you see this Christ-like rhythm of life. So it's kind of like, think about it this way. If your life was like a song, what would move you along from moment to moment would be the rhythm of Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. If your life is to be in tune with the will of God found in the word of God, if your life is to sound forth more beautifully for the glory of God, then your life needs to reflect Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, which is what? It means that your rhythm of life must be like Christ. That's what the rhythm of life is. It's living life like Christ, in Christ. And so what is this rhythm of life? And so I'm going to talk about this, and this is basically our outline for today as well. This is the rhythm. As a new person in Christ, you must put off the old ways, be renewed in your mind, and put on Christ-likeness. And so you can see as I put on the screen up here, really the three parts of that rhythm, that is that you are first, you're in Christ. And so notice on that on the screen up there, it's who you are. Like you have put off the old nature. In Christ you have. In Christ you are being renewed. In Christ you have put on the new nature, and therefore, how are you to live? You're to put off the old ways, because you've already put off the old man. You're to be renewed in your mind by the Holy Spirit. You're to put on Christ-likeness. And so there's this rhythm of life of Christ-likeness. And so look at that, starting in verse 22. Now we're going to look at how we are to live in Christ. So verse 22, remember, starts in verse 21, because the, the verb that really the next three verses are dependent on, verse 22, 23, and 24, depend upon you were taught in him. So verse 21, you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you have put off your old self. Now remember, in the original language, these put-offs and put-ons are not imperatives. So your version might have a translation that translates them as imperatives. They're actually Infinitives, they're actually relating back to what you were taught. And so they're, they're statements of fact, actually. So you could actually say it like this. They're past tense. So you have, in the past, at a point in time, you have put off your old self. What is this? What is, what is this that's taking place? 
Well, this is talking about your conversion. That is, when you repented, you, you turned from trusting in yourself or whatever religion or way that you were trusting, you repented, you turned from trusting that way, you turned from living life for yourself and for your sin, and you turned to Jesus Christ. So you believed at that moment of conversion that Christ's death on the cross had the power to kill the old nature, the old you. That is, you in Adam. You in Adam. Adam, from in Adam, you have inherited the sinful nature, and you are trusting that in Christ, you inherit his righteousness. So, in Adam, the one that, a person who is in Adam is a person who is under the death penalty, a person who's under the power of sin. And so what you're trusting here is that the gospel, when the gospel was applied to your life, that you're no longer in Adam. You no longer have the death penalty applied to you. In other words, you're not going to spend eternity in hell. The power of sin is no longer over you. Yes, sin is still present and there's still the temptation, but it doesn't have to rule you. That's the old person. So the old self, the old man is the person before I was in Christ. It's the person I was in Adam. So now that I'm in Christ, Christ died for my sins, and so now I'm dead to the penalty and to the power of sin. It's like, think about conversion like this. It's like God went to the bookshelf of humanity. And then he went on that bookshelf and he saw the volume on the side of the spine that said, Ben Ice in Adam. He pulled that volume off. And, and as you flip through that volume, what you see is all of my sin, all of my condemnation, all of my shame that's in there. You look at one page and it says, life is about Ben Ice. Next page you look at it and it says, Ben is ruled by himself. Ben is in a rebel to God. But at conversion, God took that volume of the old me and he threw it in the trash. And he took the new volume of Christ and he put my name on it. It's Ben Ice in Christ. And as you open up that volume, you flip through it and it's the righteousness of Jesus. It's the, the redemption of Jesus Christ. It's his love. It's his grace. Throughout that volume is written, Jesus is the king of Ben Ice. Jesus is my Lord. In other words, everything that's true of Jesus is true of me. And I am a new person. I am no longer that old volume. I'm no longer that old one in Christ. So in other words, this is talking about who I am now. Because I am not the old person. I need to live in a way, I do not need to live in a way that reflects the old person. This is what, we talked about this last week. This is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in your union with Christ, and if you weren't here last week, you probably missed that. You probably may not know what that is, but our union with Christ is that time at our conversion when God so unites us with the work of Jesus Christ that we die to sin and we are risen to righteousness because Jesus has already died to sin, and Jesus rose from the dead. So when we were converted, we were united with Christ, and it's like God crucified. He executed that old me. And you can see this in other texts of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried. It's like that old person, the old self, was buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Not speaking of spiritual baptism. The Holy Spirit put that old guy in the grave. How about Romans 6, 6? We know that our old self was crucified with him. And speaking at conversion, what happens is God unites us with Jesus Christ. So it's like our old self is executed on the cross. Colossians 2, 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Colossians 3, 9, you have put off the old self. So my point of doing this is as you go through the New Testament and you read particularly Paul, you read about these things like this. He's, you've put off and you've been buried with him and you've risen again. And you're thinking, what is this all talking about? It's saying that God so united you with Christ that what's true of Jesus is now true of you. So this old self is this old person. And probably one of my favorite passages of all these passages is Galatians 2.20. I have been 
crucified with Christ. That happened at my conversion. I was so united with Jesus Christ that it was like I died that day. And so now, no longer it's I am living. I'm not living for self. Self is not ruling my life. But no, Christ who lives in me. He's the king. I have the freedom now to live for the glory of God. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the rhythm of the Christian life is remembering who am I in Christ and rejecting living that old way. It's not living in the rhythm of the old self. And what was the rhythm of the old self? Well, you can see that in verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The old self, the rhythm of the old self was to live in such a way that I followed my deceitful desires, which corrupted. It was, it was like a, a spiral. That word corrupt there is present tense. It's ongoing. It's like, it's like the rottenness of an old corpse sitting out in the sun. If you're driving down the road, you see one of those squirrels in the road. If it's been there for a day, it probably looks like a squirrel. If it's there for a few days, it probably starts not looking like a squirrel, but mashed potatoes or something else like that. And the point is, as it's out in that sun, it begins to soften and to rotten. And, and, and that's the life that's given over to self. It just continues to rotten. That's what it's saying. As you follow the desires of the deceitful desires of your flesh, it's a downward spiral. It's rottenness. It's corrupt. And why is that? It's because it's ruled by deceit, deceitful desires. Desire is not a bad thing. Desire is a good thing, right? I mean, God has given us desires. That's a gift from God. You ate food this morning, probably because why? You desired to eat food. You probably were driving down the road and you missed hitting that person because you didn't want to have pain, right? I mean, not having pain is a good desire, we desire intimacy. We desire peace. We desire fulfillment and satisfaction. Those are good desires God has given to us. They're holy. They're wonderful. They're to be fulfilled within the will of God. And if they're fulfilled within the will of God, and that's they're wonderful desires. Here's the problem: is that we are deceived to fulfill those desires outside of God's will. And why are those desires? Why is that deceitful? Because those Deceitful desires are lying to you. It's saying that you can be fulfilled if you do this outside of God's will. Deceitful desires promise to fulfill you, but deceitful desires always lie to you. Deceitful desires lie to you that true pleasure and joy and fulfillment is found when you are ruled by you instead of ruled by God. See, God is the one who can give us the true joy and satisfaction and peace that we long for, that we were made for, but we look for those things, fulfillment of those desires outside of God. And that's the problem. That's what deceitful desires say. You can find that outside of God. Serve yourself. Live for yourself. In a few weeks, I'm going to go through verse 25 through 32, and I want to demonstrate really how this process, this rhythm of life works. But I just want you to notice in some of these verses how deceitful desires trick us. And so look at verse 25. That's speaking about, it's warning us about lying. And deceitful desires guarantee you that if you tell the truth, it's going to be painful. If you tell the truth, it's not going to be worth it. And so kids in here, you, you break something in your house, Right? And you're like, I got to hide it from mom. Because if I tell mom, it's going to be painful for me. And that's, that's deceitful desires. You're like, well, if I can hide it. But we have that in many areas of life. If we, if we lie, if we deceive, if we mislead people, then it's going to be better for us. That's a lie. How about verse 26 and 27? Deceitful desires assure you that sinful anger, out of control anger, Anger like yelling at your spouse, like screaming at your kids, slamming doors. If you do that, then it will convince that person 
that you're right. Like, if you really want to get that person on your side, just yell at them. How's that working out for you? Like, it's a lie, isn't it? How about verse 28? Deceitful desires promise that getting more will make you happier. So people steal, or maybe they want to get a job so they don't tell the truth. Or maybe just in the end of the day, it's just about getting that stuff. Maybe you're not doing it in the wrong way, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. Like you want that thing because you think, if I just buy that thing on Amazon, right, that's going to make me happy. And then you get it and you had that euphoria. And it's like, I need something else, <laughs> right? In other words, it's a lie. Like you're not fulfilled in the end, are you? Or how about verse 29, deceitful desires promise that speaking negatively about a person will make you feel better. If you speak corrupt words about someone else, maybe you can help solve the problem. Or maybe if you speak corrupt words about someone else, you just kind of get that off your chest. But after, actually, the, the lie is in the end, you're left with resentment and cynicism. And actually, it makes you feel worse, doesn't it? How about verse 31 and verse 32? Deceitful desires guarantee that you'll feel better if you just muse on how much you don't like that person, right? I mean, if you just lay at night and just think about how bad that person is, how bad they hurt me, then that will make you feel better, won't it? That's a deceitful desire, right? And that, 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 here's the point. The point is, that's the old way of living. That's the rhythm of the old way. It's all motivated by me. Like, I'm the God of my life. I got to figure this out myself. I'm going to live for myself. Ultimately, you're blind to yourself. So in Christ, God says that we have put off the old self. And so now the rhythm of life needs to be to discard those old ways. But Jesus said it this way. He said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Jesus wasn't encouraging you to mutilate yourself. What Jesus was saying is, if, if, that, if your right hand or something is, is as valuable as your hand, probably one of the most valuable parts of your body, right? Especially if you're right-handed. If that something is that valuable and it's, it's leading you to sin, which leads you to hell, then take it off. Like, and he's not saying cut your hand off. He's saying amputate that part of your life. It's flashing up there, isn't it? Amputate that part of your life. That's why the Ephesians in, if it bothers you, just let me know. <laughs> That's why the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, they took their magic books and they stacked them up and they burned them. Why did they do that? Did they burn their magic books so they could go to heaven? Is that why they burned them? No. They were, the old self was already dead. They did it because they don't ever want to go back to that. They didn't want to have a time when they're like, I don't know how it's going to work out with this. So maybe I'll just go back and open up one of those books and do a little incantation and maybe I'll get some good luck from this. No, I'm going to burn that. That's my past. That is not my future. And so I guess the question is for you is what are those practices of the old self that you need to put off? You know, you're sad and you're depressed and in the world they go, oh, I'm going to go drink this or I'm going to go take this or I'm going to go watch this. And you're like, you know what? That's not what I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to Christ. And so let's talk about the next point. And that is as a new person in Christ, you must put off the old ways and be renewed in your mind. So, so the rhythm is this, is I, I put off the old ways and I'm renewed in the spirit of my mind. So notice that in verse number 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So again, remember this, verse 22 and 24, when it says put off, put on, that's talking about past tense, something that already happened. But verse 23 being renewed is present tense. So what this is teaching is that at your conversion, God began a good work in you, and he does that work every day of your life. What is the good work that God has begun in you? It's the work to make you more like Jesus. Philippians 1.6, I am certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. In other words, God every day has a project he's working in your life. This patio out here, this project took us about three years. We finally, this past week, had the city come. They signed off on it. The guys went out there yesterday. They put plants in. I can say, we can say, it's completely done. And we're all saying, hallelujah for that, because it's done, but also because it looks good, doesn't it? That was a project that took time. 
And the project to make you like Christ takes time. And the Bible says it won't be complete until you see Jesus. So, so that means every day of your life, God's good work in your life is to make you like Christ. And here, here's, what I, here's the thing to think about with that. That's why God sometimes puts suffering in your life. You're like, why, do I, why don't I have this in my life? Or why do I have this? God is doing a good work. And the scripture says in, in Romans chapter 8 that his good work in us, in us is to conform us to the image of his son. And this is what it's talking about in Ephesians 4, 23. Being renewed, being made more like Christ in our minds so that way we can live like Christ in our lives. So notice that. So notice he's changed our nature. And in verse 23, he's changing our mind. He's changing our thinking so he can change how you live. So notice it's your nature, your thoughts, it's your behavior. You see, we say, I, I want to change my behavior. I'm, I'm eating too much food. Was that a testimony I just made? Okay, I'm eating too much food. I, I'm doing this too much. I need to change this in my life. How can I change my behavior? Go back to your nature. Who are you in Christ? And then look at this. You need the Holy Spirit to change how you think. And, and how does God work like this? Like, what's that look like? Well, let me just give you a little hint. The same way God regenerated you, is the same way God sanctifies you. And what's that? God takes the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. So it's, it's through the word. It's by the Holy Spirit is how he transforms you. So at regeneration, the word of God has the gospel. You believe the gospel and the Holy Spirit brought you to life. And how does it work in sanctification? The word of God comes into your mind. You understand the truth and the Holy Spirit of God renews your mind with that truth. And so look at, I didn't go to the next slide there. So you can see that you're being renewed. And so what are we to do? We are to renew our minds. So one of the parallel passages is in Colossians, Colossians 3.10, which says you have put on the new self, which is being renewed. So notice that same idea, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So notice the new self is renewed in the knowledge of what? The knowledge, ultimately, of Christ. And so we sing that song, I want to know you. This is what this is, what this is talking about right here. It's saying, I want the, 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 the truth of Jesus Christ, I want the knowledge of Jesus Christ to change how I think. So I think like Christ. I view the world like Christ. I fellowship with God like Christ. So Ephesians 4, verse 20 Three is teaching that daily sanctification takes place as the Holy Spirit renews your mind with the word of God. And this isn't like a bland, rote type of learning. This isn't like just downloading information on your brain. This isn't like if you went and got five PhDs in theology, you would be more like Jesus. Do you think that it's possible that someone could have a number of PhDs from a seminary and they're not like Jesus? Yeah, but you know why it's not? Amen, there you go. But because it's not just about learning information. Notice, this is a very important aspect. It's knowing Christ with a love for Christ. Look at verse 23. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. The spirit in verse 23 is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit is at work. We'll see that in just a moment. This is a, a reference to the spirit of your mind, or you could say it this way, the inner disposition of the mind. You could say it this way, the attitude of the mind. So this is speaking about not just learning information about Christ, it's actually loving Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, Moses commanded Israel to memorize the scripture. You're going to go in the land. You have some difficult things that are going to happen to you. So you need to, to put these words that I command you in your heart, on your heart. So that's memorization, right? Like take the, the, the Bible and memorize it. But before he gave verse 6, he gave verse 5. He wrote verse 5 and he says, you shall love the Lord your God. And so yes, your mind must be renewed by the word of God but it's with a love for God. It's not ritualistic reading of the Bible. It's not, oh, I got to get my Bible in the morning and I had to read that and got that checked off today. 
It's not, well, it's time to get up for church. I guess that's what Christians are supposed to do. Pastor Ben's probably going to send me a text on Monday if I don't come, so I better get there. It's a, I just, I really want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know more about him because I love him. This renewing of the mind must be a passionate knowing Christ. It's like the psalmist, he said in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. I love God's word. It's my meditation all the day. When I go speak at camps, one of the best things I can find at a camp is a note that someone dropped, and it's a love note. And I've had times at camp when I've been a speaker, and I've gotten up in front of all the children. So, I mean, most of these most of the time, these are like elementary age, middle school age kids. So you just imagine like 200 kids in a room, right? Like maybe a little bit less than this, obviously. But think about that. And then I get up there and I read a love note in the best if it's a counselor to another counselor. And I had that happen once. And, uh, oh, the kids went wild. But, you know, you think about what's written in that. You know, I, I love your curly hair. You know, you have such a cute smile. Like, oh, I have so much fun with you. When that person reads that note and they're, they're, they're reading what that person thinks about them, it's like they don't just love that. Oh, he does, he does a good job with his poetry. Like, he's very, you know, he, he knows some pretty big words. Pretty, pretty nice guy. He's like, you know, you're actually in love with that person, right? In other words, this, this is what we're talking about here. It's not saying, oh, I love the word of God because I, I just like the, the poetry of the Psalms, you know, and, I just like the logic of Paul. That's not what we're talking about here. And we should love the logic of Paul and love the poetry of the song. I'm not saying that. It's like, I love Jesus. I want to know Jesus. So I go to the word. I need Jesus in the morning. I need Jesus in the evening. It's like the song, in the morning when I rise, give me what? Jesus. Where do you get Jesus from? It's from here. It's from God's word. So this must be our constant meditation. If they were going to be successful in the land... God told Joshua and the people of Israel that the word of God must be their constant meditation. And when you see in Joshua and Judges, when you see that they failed the Lord, you know what you realize is that they were not governed, their minds were not governed by the word of God. They were deceived. Their desires deceived them. That's the reason we need a renewal, right? In fact, the ribbon that kind of ties this whole passage together is the word truth. Look in verse 20. I'm sorry, look in verse 21. Notice at the very end of verse 20. We learn Christ, verse 21, the very end, as the truth is in Jesus. So Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth. Jesus embodies the truth. Jesus' words are true. His word is the inscripturated, inerrant truth. He is the incarnate truth. So Jesus defines truth. Jesus is the truth. Notice verse 22. Deceit utilizes your desires to pull you away from the truth of Christ. So ultimately people are on their way to hell because they're deceived. You walk away from Christ because you're deceived. So what is the opposite of deception? It's truth, right? Verse 24. The new self is made, and actually I think a, a better translation of this is in holiness and righteousness, which comes from the truth, which is produced from the truth. Verse 25, you are to live and speak in the truth. And my, the point of this text is this, is that you and I, we need the truth of God's word every day because we are so easily deceived. Our minds need to be daily renewed with the truth of Jesus because our minds are so easily tricked by our desires. We so easily follow our, the desires of our heart and walk away from the Lord. And if you think, or you have thought to yourself, well, I don't really think I'm being deceived. I think I know enough of the Bible that I'm okay. I can guarantee you that you are deceived. Because here's the thing, the more you grow in Jesus, the more you realize, I am so easily deceived. The more you mature in Christ, the more you realize that every day, if I am not having the words of Christ in my mind, that I'm going to be deceived to live in my flesh, to, to follow my old self and not to follow Christ. 
So the battle for Christ's likeness is a battle in my mind. And I think one of the most important aspects of this verse right here, verse 23, is in the word, be renewed, renewed, or being renewed. It's a passive. In other words, it's something that God, the Holy Spirit, is doing to you. And I think it's really, of this te- in this text, it's the, it's the secret sauce. This, this, is, this is really where kind of the heart of all this comes to. Because right there, that being renewed is the Holy Spirit controlling every thought I think. It's living moment by moment under the power of the Holy Spirit. Being renewed points to this relationship of faith that we have with God. That we pray, God, help me not to think that. Cast out this thought, Lord. Help me to capture this thought in your word. Like, help me to think like Jesus. I need your Holy Spirit to control me. It's trusting the Holy Spirit to show you the deception. And when he shows it to you, trusting the Holy Spirit to help you to walk the opposite way, to walk in truth. Being renewed means that throughout your day, the Holy Spirit has control on your mind, of your mind. If you've been doing the Bible reading, you read this past week about the temptation of Christ. Why was Jesus able to say no to Satan and resist the temptation? I mean, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. There's a rock. He has the power to turn it into a a nice, fluffy, warm piece of bread. He could rip it off and eat it and put a little butter on top, maybe a little cinnamon, maybe one of Bob's cinnamon rolls or something. But he has the power to do that. Why didn't he do that? Well, the text of Scripture tells us he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the text of Scripture indicates also because he spoke what? What did he speak when he was tempted? Satan said, you should make this into bread. And Jesus then therefore spoke the word of God. It was because of this. Jesus overcame those temptations because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. His mind was controlled by the Holy Spirit and his mind was filled with the word of God. And so it is for us. We cannot live like Jesus on a daily basis unless our minds are under the power of the Holy Spirit, renewed by the Holy Spirit with the truth of the word of God. So here's a question for us. Does the spirit have control of your thoughts? You're driving down the street. What's on your mind? Is your mind ruled by the Holy Spirit? Like you get up in the morning and what's your thought in the morning? What do you run to in the morning and say, I need, I need to think what's, on what's true. Are you in the word? And not just like a, a check the box, but you're in the works. I love the Lord. I want to know him. I want to know the truth. We need to breathe in order to physically live, and we need to be renewed by the Spirit of God in our minds to spiritually stay alive. And then last of all, as a new person in Christ, you must put off the old ways, be renewed in your mind, and then put on Christ-likeness. So again, look at verse 24. You can see this, who are you in Christ? What happened at your conversion? So notice verse 24, you have, so remember it's past tense, you have put on the new self, or your translation might say the new man, the new person. So in Christ, you have now a new nature. And this, this you have put on the new self speaks of your conversion again. It's that you trusted that in Christ, the gospel was applied to you. You were united with Christ, and therefore you were regenerated. Your your soul was brought to life. Really, ultimately, I believe that that regeneration is a result of your union with Christ. It comes out of that. And you can see this in other texts of Scripture. And I want to help you think this way, because as you study the Scripture, I want you to see these verses, and I want the light bulb to come on, and and for you to realize what you have in Christ. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 Same type of idea. You can see these two aspects here. You see this aspect of conversion. That is when you believe the gospel. And you see this aspect of of God uniting you with Christ, regenerating your soul. So conversion is is our perspective of what happened at, at salvation when we believe the gospel. Regeneration, union with Christ is God's perspective. So look at verse, look, look on the screen at Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were 
baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So to put on Christ, that's conversion. That's to believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for you. And you believe that God has applied that to you. So you put on Christ. You say his work is my work. Not because I did the work, but because he gave it to me as a gift by his grace. And then you were baptized into Christ is your union with Christ. That is, again, you're so united with Jesus that your soul is resurrected to life. So baptized into Christ is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to apply the death and resurrection of Christ to my soul. And this is not water baptism. This is called spirit baptism. And there's different views on spirit baptism, but I'm just going to tell you the actual view. (laughs) And that is, this is a past tense heiress verb. It's it's, in other words, it's, it happens at a point in time. Spirit baptism isn't something to seek all the time. It's something that already happened to you. And actually, it's way better than some other people's idea of baptism because what happened at your spirit baptism is your union with Christ. It's the same thing. In other words, it's when you got everything that was Jesus. It's all the inheritance, all the grace. Everything as Jesus is yours. You were united with him in baptism. You were raised with him to walk in newness of life. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he's coming, that's Jesus, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the supernatural work to bring your soul to life, to give you everything that is Jesus Christ. So if you look down in Ephesians 4, 24, you can see conversion. You, you have put on, you're in Christ, you have put on the new nature, and then you can see you were created. Again, this is an aorist passive. This is something that God did at, at your salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he actually recreated your nature. He gave you a new nature. What's that nature like? After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, or in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. So what is this nature like? Well, the likeness of God. What is that? That's the image of God. So Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created man and woman in his image. Sin came, distorted the image, And here what we see is God recreates your inner self with a new image, a new nature. It's the image of Christ. So that you are righteous. You have that position before God. You are sanctified. You're holy. You have that position before God. And what you are positionally before God. And what you even are conditionally as as a new nature, you are to be practically in your life. So here what he's talking about is this. He's saying, God has made you this way. This is who you are. Therefore, live this way. You've put on Christ. Now live like Christ. And so this is speaking of of the new nature and therefore the new way we are to live. There's one more text. You can write this down if you want to. I'm not going to go through it because we don't have time. Just speaking about our resurrection in Christ. Let me just say this. If you've never been water baptized, what is water baptism? It's a picture of what happened at our salvation. When we dunk people in the water back there, it doesn't do anything spiritually for you, except for the fact that you obey Jesus, and that's a good thing. But what's happening back there is we're actually picturing what happened at your, at your conversion, and that is God so immersed you into the work of Jesus Christ and raised you from the dead that now you can walk in newness of life. So if you're not water baptized, Two things. Number one, you're not obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, it could be that maybe you were never truly immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be a revelation of that. And so let's just end with just speaking about who we are in Christ. Let me just tell a quick story. There was a mother eagle, and she was high on a cliff, and her little baby eaglet was in the nest. And as the baby eaglet looked down, the baby eaglet saw a gopher. And the mother went behind the, the little, the mother eagle went behind the eaglet and pushed the eaglet with its, with its body and tried to get the eaglet to fly. And the, and the mother eaglet said, or the mother eagle said, God has made you with wings to fly, now fly. And the eagle looked down and said, Mama, I see those little gophers down there and they're digging around. I think I'd rather dig around like a gopher. So the little eaglets in the nest there digging around and, and the mother eagle replied, you're not a gopher. You're an eagle. In other words, that's who you are. Now fly like an eagle. And here's the point. 
You're not that old person, Christian. Believer, you're not a sinner, right? You're not that one who is under the power of sin. You're not the one condemned to hell. You are a new person in Christ. Live like it. You have a new nature. Have God, the Holy Spirit, renew your mind. Live in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so what's this rhythm of life? This rhythm of life is that throughout your day, you're saying, I am this new person in Christ. Therefore, I need to put away those things of the past. I need to put off those deeds of the old one, old person. I need to have my mind renewed with God's word. Therefore, our passion throughout our day is to pray to God, the Holy Spirit, to pray to God, the Father, that the Holy Spirit would control our thinking. Pray and ask the Lord to renew our mind with God's word and then to put on Christ. And so as you go through Ephesians chapter 25 through verse 30, I want you to notice this rhythm of life. Verse 25, you put off telling lies and you put on what Christ said. What did Christ do? Christ told the truth. And why should you do that? What you'll notice in all these passages is that it relates either to an actual text of scripture that renews your mind or a truth found in the scripture. Why should you not lie to people? Why should you tell the truth? Because you're members of one another. You've been placed in the body of Christ. That's who you are. You should live like one in the body of Christ. You know, why should you not steal from anyone else? Why should you now work to give to people? I mean, how did Jesus live? Jesus lived his life not to serve himself. He lived to serve other people, right? That's what he lived. So, so you think about this children in the room, or you think about spouses, or who, whoever else we have in this room, as you live your life, your life is not about serving you. It's not get up in the morning thinking like, how can I live life for me today? No, how did Jesus live? What's Christ like living? Jesus lived to give. He, he did not serve himself. He served, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so if you look at that text of scripture there in Ephesians chapter 4, what I think it's verse 27, 28, something like that. He says, the reason why we work is so we can give. And so this rhythm of life, putting off, being renewed, putting on, really by the power of the Holy Spirit, being like Jesus Christ. Let's pray.